Hey everybody! You are listening to the Creative BioLevs podcast, the show that introduces the basics about stem cells and their broad applications. Please contact us if you have any questions or suggestions. And don't forget to subscribe to follow the latest updates. Welcome, dear listeners. Today, we are delighted to have our esteemed guest, Dr. Benjamin Smith, back with us. Let's extend a warm welcome to this distinguished scientific journal editor. Could you please greet our audience, Dr. Smith? It's a pleasure to see you again, dear listeners. Thank you for having me, Connie. In our previous episode, Dr. Smith provided a concise and clear overview of mouse skin structure. Initially, it was believed that epithelial stem cells resided in the basal layer of the epidermis. However, as research advanced, a substantial body of evidence suggested that the hair bulge might be the primary location for epithelial skin stem cells. Cells within the bulge have the potential to differentiate into epidermis, hair, and sebaceous glands, implying their multipotent nature. Given that accumulation of DNA replication errors can lead to elevated rates of tissue cancer, it's speculated that stem cells have evolved unique mechanisms to mitigate this risk. What are the current potential mechanisms, and which of these mechanisms are favored by hair follicle stem cells? For instance, mechanisms such as slow or infrequent cell cycling or the asymmetric segregation of newly synthesized DNA into non-stem cell progeny, known as the immortal DNA strand hypothesis, have been proposed. However, the validity of these hypotheses remains uncertain. Measuring the cell cycle times of epithelial skin stem cells relative to transit-amplified progeny cells and hair follicles is challenging. The low mitotic activity characterizing stem cells aligns with the limited mitotic activity observed in the bulge. Additionally, in a similar epithelial system like intestinal epithelial stem cells, there is evidence of asymmetric segregation of newly synthesized DNA strands. This ensures that adult stem cells consistently inherit the original DNA strand. It's important to determine if similar asymmetrical divisions occur in the bulge. However, due to a lack of stem cell markers and the apparent scarcity of postnatal skin stem cell division, accurately assessing sites of asymmetrical divisions is technically demanding. Indeed, the research journey has been full of challenges. Researchers identified potential stem cells in the mouse skin epithelium. What methods and strategies have been employed in this pursuit? Researchers identified a population of slow cycling or asymmetrically dividing cells, possibly stem cells, within the skin epithelium. They administered tritiated thymidine or bromodeoxyuridine to mouse pups three to six days after birth, labels that become incorporated into newly replicated DNA. Over the next four to eight weeks, transient amplifying cells rapidly divide, leading to label dilution as they move into the differentiated layers of hair follicles and epidermis, eventually leaving the tissue. In contrast, slow cycling cells retain the label and remain in the tissue. This approach revealed that label retaining cells are primarily located in the bulge of murine hair follicles, with fewer dispersed cells in the basal layer of the epidermis or other parts of hair follicles and epidermis. These label retaining cells within the skin epithelium may indeed be stem cells. 
Consequently, the bulge is recognized as the principal stem cell compartment of postnatal skin epithelium. I grasp your explanation. Is there a strategy for isolating these slowly cycling stem cells? Yes. A strategy has been developed which employs fluorescent tags to isolate stem cells that cycle infrequently within tissues. In this method, green fluorescent protein is expressed, fused with histone H2B. This green fluorescent protein is regulated in a cell-type-specific and tetracycline-controllable manner. When the expression is halted, the label becomes diluted in all dividing and differentiating cells. Subsequently, these cells are shed from the tissue. As a result, only the infrequently cycling cells remain brightly labeled. This system has been successfully applied in the skin to track label-retaining cells in the bulge and to both isolate and characterize these cells. This sounds very exciting. What types of cells can bulge cells labeled with bromodeoxyuridine develop into? During the telogen phase of the hair cycle, label-retaining cells can only be found in the bulge area. However, cells with less bromodeoxyuridine signaling were also detected in the lower and upper outer root sheath, matrix, and even the medulla during the new antigen phase. These cells were likely a result of the division of bulge cells. Consequently, the label-retaining cells contribute to the formation of the lower hair follicle and the upper portion of the follicle's outer root sheath, referred to as the infundibulum. The correlation with the bulge was established indirectly through a single-label experiment. Hence, a double-label technique involving the marking of outer root sheath cells at different division times was utilized. This revealed a flow of cells from the infundibulum into the epidermal basal layer of neonatal and traumatized adult skin. I understand. Based on what you've explained, the label-retaining cell is effectively and adequately brightly labeled using a tetracycline-controllable H2B green fluorescent protein pulsantase system. What kind of information can we obtain using this technology? The descendants of cells labeled by this technique can be traced through up to eight divisions. Transiently amplifying bulge label-retaining cell progeny can be located in the matrix of the hair follicle bulb when a new hair cycle begins. Remarkably, even terminally differentiating hair cells and inner root sheath cells can be considered as cell derivatives of the bulge based on fluorescence. Moreover, in response to wound-related stimuli, these H2B green fluorescent protein label-retaining cells appear to exit the bulge and migrate towards the site of injury. As they participate in restoring the damaged epidermis, these cells also seem to proliferate, deposit new basement membranes, and undergo various biochemical changes. So, are there any additional experiments to demonstrate that these bulge cells are genuinely multipotent? Absolutely. The bulge area of rat vibrissi contains multipotent cells capable of tissue morphogenesis. Grafting microdissected rat vibrissi bulge tissue onto the backs of thymic mice yielded intact hair follicles, sebaceous glands, and epidermis. This finding was further substantiated in subsequent studies. Admittedly, determining the multipotency of individual bulge cells requires clonal analysis. Additionally, when placed in tissue culture, bulge cells exhibited the highest colony-forming ability, irrespective of the hair follicle stage in the cycle. 
Such cells have only been identified in rat vibrissae bulbs. No efficient colony-forming cells were found in other follicle regions. Mouse vibrissae and pellage follicle bulges were not functional in these assays due to technical challenges posed by their size. This issue seemed to arise from the follicle's dimensions. As human hair follicles displayed a similar distribution of clonal cells to rad vibrissae, this challenge was consistent. Connie, what forms the basis for attributing clonogenicity to stem cells within the hair follicle? The rationale for making such a determination is rooted in an assumption. Namely, the high regenerative potential of stem cells would manifest in their ability to generate substantial cell colonies and tissue culture. In line with this notion, cultured skin keratinocytes demonstrate the capacity for enduring skin engraftment and the regeneration of injured skin. Connie, I see. However, I've heard that cultured cells isolated from bulge areas can form sizable colonies within two weeks. This seems to conflict with the slow cycling characteristics associated with bulge stem cells in the skin. How can this apparent contradiction be explained? This is an excellent question. There's been speculation that stem cells and culture might undergo more rapid divisions in certain instances. For instance, cells might experience trauma during the isolation process or exposure to the culture medium. Alternatively, the formation of large colonies may not solely stem from the expansion of the stem cells. Instead, they might arise due to the infrequent asymmetrical division of primitive stem cells, leading to a mixed population of stem and transit amplified cells. Additionally, the data suggests that achieving efficient colony formation in vitro or successful grafting in vivo might necessitate a concentrated population of isolated stem cells. Thank you for explaining. I have another question. Are the label-retaining cells identified in the bulge the same as the clonal colonies produced from dissecting the bulge? The precise relationship between the two remains unclear. However, there are indications that label-retaining cells might indeed be part of colonies and culture. An important point to note regarding the use of in vitro methods in stem cell research is that the characteristics of stem cells cannot be studied without altering the tissue, thereby affecting the stem cell state. That sounds logical. So, can we consider label retention ability as a characteristic of stem cells? The ability to retain labels seems to serve as a marker for slow cycling or asymmetrically dividing cell populations, which are likely to be stem cells. However, it's worth noting that stem cells without label retaining properties might also exist in tissues. Therefore, label retention is a potential stem cell marker, albeit indirect and significantly dependent on the label chase scheme used. This might lead researchers to overlook the presence of stem cells that aren't label retaining but are crucial for tissue regeneration. This possibility will need further evaluation in future studies. So, if I understand correctly, the bulge contains a population of stem cells that contribute to tissue regeneration. Has any research produced findings contradicting this perspective? Indeed. Studies involving retroviral transduction of keratinocytes have revisited this concept. Mouse skin subjected to dermabrasion was transduced with a retrovirus carrying a beta-galactosidase reporter gene. 
A 36-week follow-up was conducted, involving five cycles of depilation-induced hair follicle cycles. The results of this study were somewhat unexpected. While it was anticipated that beta-galactosidase-positive cells would be evenly distributed among the various cell lineages of hair follicles and the epidermis, the outcome was puzzling. Only one instance exhibited homogeneous distribution, implying that the entire skin epithelium originates from multipotent, long-lived stem cells within the bulge. Nonetheless, the observed results posed a mystery. Despite the extended chase and repeated stimulation of stem cells, only 30% of hair follicles exhibited uniform blue coloration. Remaining follicles displayed positivity in the outer root sheaths, inner root sheaths, or sebaceous glands, but not in all three locations. Additionally, distinct blue cells were present in the epidermis far from the hair follicles. Similar outcomes arose from analyzing the skin of mosaic mice, resulting from aggregating two different stem cell types with varying genetic backgrounds. These findings suggest the presence of multiple types of long-lived stem cells, each with limited potency and potentially not confined to a single niche. These findings are challenging to reconcile solely based on the multipotent bulge hypothesis. However, it doesn't seem to completely negate the hypothesis. Why is this? This could be attributed to the unique slow-cycling attributes of multipotent stem cells, making them challenging to infect. Follicles exhibiting mosaic beta-galactosidase expression likely originated from more susceptible cells that had left their niche and assumed specific lineages. Mosaicism often arises from a chromatin inactivation mechanism called position effect variegation, which tends to silence retroviral or transgene promoters. This mechanism may operate differently in stem cells and their committed progeny, leading to a non-random silencing pattern of reporter gene expression. In this scenario, retroviral DNA could be silenced more effectively in stem cells. Hence, another plausible hypothesis is the existence of lineage-specific and multipotent stem cells within the skin. Leaving aside the challenge of addressing stem cell variability, it's crucial to note that various types of injuries have been employed as representative models of normal tissue homeostasis. Resolving these inquiries would necessitate clonal analysis involving individual stem cells or their progeny. Your analysis is well-reasoned. Nonetheless, the evidence supporting the presence of stem cells in the bulge is compelling. Thank you for sharing your insights. It's been a pleasure conversing with you. I suppose we'll conclude here. Have a great day. Thank you very much. Likewise, have a wonderful day.